Okay, so as I told you, we're going to be in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. But before we do that, we're going to need to start in chapter 1. We're going to need to start in chapter 1, and we're going to need to just kind of survey to see what Habakkuk is about. We're going to need to see the, the, the transformation that Habakkuk goes through. It's, it's a small book. We see it's about three chapters. And so the title of today's message is God's Sustaining Grace. The main idea that we're going to see from chapter 1 all the way until we get to our passage is the, the main idea of how God sustains his people. We are going to see this through the context of four major points. Our first point that we're going to see in chapter 1 is how God sustains his people through prayer. Secondly, we will see how God sustains his people in their waiting. Third, we will see how God sustains his people as they remember the work of the Lord. And fourth, we will see how God sustains his people as they rejoice in him. So just some information about me. Again, as Brad said, I'm a pastoral resident. So my junior hires, I love you. You inspire me. I love being with you. I'm excited for our best three nights that we have coming up. Um, and so... Uh, I sang in the high school choir back at Avon, and I went to Purdue, so if you went to IU, I'll pray for you. Um, but one of the things that I so enjoyed with being at Purdue was I got to sing in the Purdue Varsity Glee Club. And one of the things that we would do, I remember going there, we, we did this thing kind of right, right around the time of September, and it was the Purdue Christmas show. And from this time, what we would do is we would do probably about 15 hours worth of rehearsal time, and we had to cram for exams while we're eating ramen, while we're trying to hang out with friends. And it's, it's hard because now we're, we're having to do all of this while at the same time balancing everything. And I remember one of the things that I so enjoyed was that we got to have some of the um, kids from the West Lafayette and Lafayette area, and they would come in. And I remember seeing one time, you know, this, this girl, she was probably maybe... Um, nine, she, she had come out of the door um, over there at Elliott Hall, if you're familiar with Purdue. She had come out, and I remember she was crying. And I just remember her just, just weeping, and she, she came out, and she's looking for her mother. She says, Mom, Mom, Mom. And I remember her mother gently picked her up and wrapped her in her arms. And I remember her just crying and snots going everywhere. And, and I remember her mother saying, It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I remember just sitting there watching her while she looked ridiculous she sat there and knew exactly where to go and yet as we look at Habakkuk chapter one we we, we don't see a little eight-year-old girl but what we do see is we see a prophet crying before his lord Look with me in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Look at what Habakkuk says. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? What is interesting is that this word that Habakkuk uses for cry is what is known as when a woman is in labor. Now, I can tell you personally, I've never been in a delivery room. That scares me. I don't know what that day is going to look like. But I can tell you that in, in the birth, I do not imagine that the woman is saying, wow, this is really quite pleasant. She is screaming because of the sense that life is about to come out of her. And Habakkuk reaches and we hear his first words is, Lord, how long shall I cry to you? 
This, this isn't like a nice little prayer where we get on our hands and our knees and we have a nice little quiet time with the Lord. This is a desperate cry where Habakkuk is saying, God, I'm coming to you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you're not doing anything. He's saying, I'm crying out to you and I'm wondering, how long am I going to have to cry to you violence and you will not save? One commentator says, a silent heaven, it has been said, is the greatest mystery of our existence. What we see here in these first couple verses is Habakkuk is asking the age-old question, how long? Where do you go when you cry? What, what do you do when the phone call comes in and and, and the doctor says the C word, the, the word that you've been worried about, the, the greatest thing, and you hear cancer has befallen you, or it's befallen your loved one, or, 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 or it's befallen your child. Where, where do you go to cry when the anxieties of life are plaguing you? The thoughts are continually coming to you day after day, and you, you don't know where to turn. Where do you go? when your child is not following after the Lord, when you're reaching old age and the things that you've built your life upon maybe are starting to crumble, what do you do when you're trying to start a family, as I know maybe some of you are, and it, it seems as if the womb will not open and it seems as if God is not hearing your cries for the good things that you're asking him for? And what I love here is that God gives us a first row seat to how his prophet cries out to him. At first, we don't know why Habakkuk is crying out. We, we don't know the situation, but if we look back into Israel's history, we will see what Habakkuk is crying out from. We know that in Leviticus 26 and in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, we know that God gives his people the blessings for obedience and the punishments for disobedience. God specifically tells his people in Deuteronomy 28, 36, he says, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. God told his people what would happen if they didn't follow after him. He told his people that I'm taking you to a land and that you should follow after me. And God laid it clearly out what would happen if his people did not follow him. We see that Habakkuk is written in a time where Israel has now come out of the Exodus, and this is kind of right before the book of Daniel and right before Jeremiah. So this is right before Israel or Judah is about to be carried off into exile. So this is the impending judgment that God is about to beset on his people, and Habakkuk is crying out. We see that the king that is over Israel is described as an evil king. We know that it's King Jehoshakim. He can be described as doing evil in the eyes of the Lord in 2 Kings 23, 37. Jehoshakim killed innocents who opposed him and he refused to pay poor laborers. Under his administration, prophets committed adultery and abused authority. So what we see here is Habakkuk in a time where God's people are not walking in his ways. We have an evil king, and Habakkuk is crying out. Look with me in Habakkuk 1, verses 3 through 4. We get kind of a better context, and, and we, we get to see the scene more. Habakkuk says, why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? 
destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, as it says in verse 4. And justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk describes a ruined city filled with crime, violence, corruption, mock legal battles. And yet as we survey where America is at today, the cries for injustice sound so familiar, do they not? We see court cases such as Roe v. Wade, and we see that ever since that declaration, how many millions and millions and millions have been lost in the womb? We see just even earlier this week in CNN, we see six killed with 51 school children injured in the Taliban attack on Kabul. We, we see that, that per capita, per 100,000 people, according to 2019, we see that in Gary, an average 63 people are killed. In Indianapolis, we have an average of 17 people killed. We have in Evansville around um, 16 people killed. We, 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 we go to our news channels and see police brutality, and we still see that there is a, there is a, um, there is a mark on the sense of judgment or discrimination against the pigment of one's skin. So, so the things that Habakkuk is crying out for in the sense of injustice is not something that we cannot readily understand what he is saying. It is something that as we know in 2019, we are seeing injustice and we're asking the exact same question, Lord, how long? Well, in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, we see that God sees what's going on, and God responds. God says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. What God basically says is that, no, 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 I see what is going on. I am aware of it. God is sovereign over evil. God, God does not sit idly by. He says, no, what I'm going to do is God says, just like he did earlier with Assyria, God is going to send Babylon towards his people as a rod of judgment. And yet look with me in verse 12 through 13. Look at what Habakkuk basically says. Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. What Habakkuk basically says is, God says, I'm doing something in your days that you would not believe if I told you. God tells him, and he doesn't believe it. Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing because God says, I'm doing something. You're not going to believe it. God tells him, and he says, God, how could you do this? Habakkuk is amazed at the fact that God would send Babylon to come after them because this is a wicked nation as we know about Babylon. We see this in Daniel. We see this in Jeremiah. They're ruthless. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations for forever? Habakkuk knows that this is not good. He knows that they're going to come in and, and they're not going to do discipline rightly. They're going to take the poor. They're going to take the women. They're going to do things that are not right. And, and, and Habakkuk responds with God, how could you do this? We ask similar questions when it seems as if the, the ways of God are unusual to us. Do we not? 
In Isaiah 55, 9, we see that God says, For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So again, we see here our very first point is that God sustains his people in their prayers. God has ordained prayer to be a way that we can go to him in order to cry out to him the things that are, that are plaguing our hearts and in ways that we can go to him and to tell him the things that are bothering us. We have no other world religion where the God listens to his people. Think about that. He calls us his children. And just as that little girl knew exactly where to go and that her mother would embrace her, we have a God who in heaven listens to our cries. No matter how big, no matter how small, no, ma no matter how insignificant, we have a God who listens to us. So we, we, we reach here in chapter 1. We see that Habakkuk is surrounded by injustice. He doesn't understand the ways of God. He comes out before him and he raises two complaints. It seems as if God is not listening. And then he says, God, how could you ordain these people as judgment? Now let us move to chapter 2 and to see what God is going to do and how Habakkuk is now going to respond. Our second point that we will see now is that God sustains his people in their waiting. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 1. We see, that, we see how um, this amazing thing that Habakkuk says. Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. What's amazing here is that the... What the Hebrew literally suggests when he says, I'm going to stand out at my watch post, is it literally means to be in a duration of time which lasts for an indefinite, for an indefinite period of time. How do you wait on God? What, what do you do when God has you on a need-to-know basis, things around you are going crazy, and, it's, and, and God's ways do not make sense to you. What, what, what do you do, young adults, when you consistently look at your hand and see that a ring is not there and you're wondering, does God hear my prayers? What do you, what do, you do parents, when it, when it seems as if the, the, the conflict between you and your son is not well. What, what, what do you do when you're in a troubling marriage and, and you're in a place where what, what seems good to the outside eye is not true of actually what's happened behind closed doors and God has you in a season of waiting? Habakkuk is as relevant then as it is now. And yet God has a second response for what he says to Habakkuk. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. He says, and this is the kicker. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up in verse 4. It is not, right, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. 
What God says here is that when God has appointed something to happen, he's saying, wait for it, it will surely come. I don't know about you, but something happens at our house on Thursday at 6 or 6.30 in the morning, and it's called trash day. Now, I currently still live at home, trying to make that transition, but um, one of the things that I get on constantly, every Wednesday, did, did you take out the trash? Did, did, did you take out the trash? And I'm thinking, it's trash. But it's, it's amazing because I don't worry about the trash on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday because I know that God has appointed a time that on Thursday at 6.30 in the morning, Ray will come and he will do his business. And so what I see here is that God is saying that when I've appointed something as a time, there is no reason for us to, to fret about it. And what I love here is that God sustains Habakkuk in his waiting and showing him that the righteous live by faith. This is the characteristic that is known by all believers. You know, as we look in the Old Testament, we see that those who lived before us were categorized as living in faith, were they not? Hebrews 11:1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We have people like Abraham, we have people like Abel, we have people like Noah. Can you imagine being Noah and you coming up and saying, brother, what are you building? Oh, I'm, I'm building a boat. God's going to lay his judgment out upon his people. Oh, okay, good luck with that. Imagine being Abraham. Your wife has not been able to conceive. God has told you, I'm going to give you an heir and that through him all the nations will be blessed. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And then finally, when Isaac is of age, he says, now the very thing that you have been waiting for, I want you to sacrifice it. I can't imagine the tension that Abraham must have felt in this. Or, or, or imagine Joseph. Imagine Joseph, he's been in prison now. Genesis tells us that the cupbearer and, and the baker that he, that he so helps, he says, when you go to the king, remember me. Remember me when you go out there, and yet it says that they forgot him. And then it says in the next chapter in Genesis 41, it says that after two whole years, righteousness and the, the, the fact that the just shall live by faith is what all believers are known for. It's not the fact that we sing good songs. It's not the fact that we're attractive. It's not the fact that we have everything together, but it's the fact that the righteous live by faith. When things are not going to the way that we want them to, it says that, that he who is puffed up, that God does not take delight in him. It is those who wait under pressure and cry out to the Lord to the way that God sustains his people. The number one thing that people should say whether you, when they see you is that, man, I don't know about Janet. I think she is crazy. She prays to this, this guy that I don't understand, but there is something different about her. And the thing that should be the, the difference maker about believers is that we live by faith. We see this. We see that the righteous live by faith. Look with me now in verses 6 through 13. We see that God does something interesting, is that God pronounces woes upon Babylon. 
God pronounces woes because basically what he's saying is that I see the injustices that are going on. I see the fact of the evilness that these people do. And what God is saying is that I'm one day not only going to carry out my judgment upon Babylon, but I'm going to carry it out against every unrighteous thing, every evil deed, act, everything done in secret and not. I am going to carry out judgment upon it. God sees what is happening over in the Middle East. God sees that we have brothers and sisters who are being killed, who are being slaughtered. He sees what's happening in human trafficking. He knows what's happening in our homes. God says that not only am I going to carry out judgment against Babylon, but that one day I'm going to make everything right. We do not worship a God who sits idly by and who does not see the injustices. And he says that in these woes as he pronounces judgment upon the nations. But yet in in Habakkuk 2.14, we see that God gives us a promise. He says in Habakkuk 2.14, he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. God is going to win. God is is setting up his kingdom. This is what many theologians say, that we are in the already but the not yet. It seems as if the evil are triumphing, and it seems as if the evil ways of, of the nations and of our societies are winning. But what God says is that for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. One commentator says that history is not cyclical, a never-ending reoccurrence of one bad thing after another. It is linear. It's moving toward the goal of the kingdom. The prophet knows that there is no power in the world of nature or any human ruler that can subvert God's plan for the world. This is how we live by faith. This is how the people of God should be encouraged because that we see that Each day that we live, we are closer and we're closer and we're closer to to glory. As Paul says, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing for that which is to be revealed. So we saw in chapter 1 that Habakkuk cries out to the Lord and that God sustains him through that. We saw in chapter 2 that, that the righteous, that God encouraged Habakkuk, and he says that the righteous shall live by faith, and that not only shall they live by faith, but that they have, we have the Old Testament patriarchs to look back to to see how did Abraham do it, how did Abel do it, how did Noah do it, how did Moses do it. We see that they are examples for us, so that way we can see how do we currently do this. And now we come to our third point here. In Habakkuk 3, and we see that God sustains his people as they remember the work of the Lord. Look with me now in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. He says, O Lord, I've heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In wrath, remember mercy. What I love here is that in Habakkuk chapter 3, that Habakkuk has cried, and now he knows that he shall live by faith, and that's what the righteous do. And now in Habakkuk 3, what Habakkuk does is he starts to ponder the work of the Lord. Look with me in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 8. Look what he says. He says, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses or your chariot of salvation? 
What Habakkuk 3 verse 8 describes is what we know as the exodus. What Habakkuk is basically doing is it says that Habakkuk is going back in his mind and he's remembering when God was good. Do you do this constantly? Think about this. Habakkuk is describing it. It's almost in a way where Habakkuk is saying, oh, man, I'm here. I, I, I'm here with the people of Israel. I can hear the horses and all the Pharaoh coming. I can smell the sheep that are with us and all the livestock. And, and it's, it's as if he's standing there with Moses and, and the staff is about to rise. And as Moses says, be careful because the very people that you see today, you're never going to see again. And Habakkuk is saying, I'm walking with the people of God. I can see what it's like. We're walking through the Red Sea. And then Habakkuk opens his eyes. Habakkuk is remembering what God did for his people. He's remembering it in a time of when judgment is about to befall his people. He's remembering, man, I remember what it was like to walk on dry land. Look at how he picks it up in, in Habakkuk 3, verses 13 through 15. He says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare thigh to the neck. How amazing is this that God sustains his people as they remember the work of the Lord? I don't know if you are a, a moviegoer, um, but I am. Um, I don't know if, if you're familiar with the movie 50 First Dates. Um, we, we see here, I went to IMDb. Uh, it's a guilty pleasure of mine to see what new and up-and-coming movies are coming out. And it's interesting, the, the description um, that IMDb has credited to this movie. It says, Henry Roth is a man afraid of commitment up until he meets the beautiful Lucy. They hit it off, and Henry thinks he's finally found the girl of his dreams until he discovers she has short-term memory loss and forgets him the next day. So imagine this, there's a man, he's pursuing a woman, and she cannot remember the things that he has done. I could go farther with that, but I won't. But it's amazing of the fact that do we not sound like the main person in that movie? God does something, and then we forget. God does something, and then we forget. God delivers us. And then we forget. We forget the goodness that God has done. And that's why we need to, the righteous, the people of God, need to have a stock collection of memories to see. I remember when God worked here. I remember when God worked in 08. I remember when God worked in 09. I remember when he worked in 010. I remember when we were in the hospital room and God was there and like people weren't there. And I remember the things that you did, God, when nobody was there with us when we were on our knees and we were crying. We need to have a collection of things that we can go back to to say, God, I don't see you working right now. It's dry right now. I don't feel you. I don't see you. I'm reading the Bible and things aren't happening. But I, 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 we need a recollection of things to go back to, to, to say, man, I remember when he worked in that way. And now we come to our text with only a couple minutes left. <laughs> it's important, though, because just like any good movie, you can't just go to the end and just start watching it. And so now we see Habakkuk. We started in the first chapter. We started where Habakkuk is crying out before the Lord. He doesn't understand the fact of what God is doing. And we see that, that he brings his complaint to the Lord and God gives us that. That way we can know that we can go home today 
after this service that we can cry and wail out before the Lord and he'll hear us. We saw that in chapter 2 that God says that my righteous, that they live by faith. And then we saw that, that God has given us a remembrance. He's given us his word. That way we can go through day after day and see how did God sustain his people of old. And now we come to, I think, is a miracle text, and I think is probably one of the most beautiful things that Habakkuk, and I think that is written in the Old Testament. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. What Habakkuk basically is saying is that he knows judgment is now upon us. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Babylon is coming, and he says that, that, that though the fig tree should not blossom, what Habakkuk basically describes, one commentator says, what Habakkuk basically says is, Lord, even if I starve to death, he says that, and this, this word nor is a continual thing. So he's saying, I'm going out day after day after day after day, and there's no fruit. There may be, maybe in, in a context for today, maybe there's no fruit in the marriage. Maybe there's no fruit in justice. Maybe there's no fruit in your life. And what Habakkuk basically says is that though everything around me is falling apart, he comes to a glorious conclusion. I was listening to Mark Dever um, when I went with um, Alex, our high school pastor. I went with him, and I was listening to a message, and Mark Dever's question killed me. He says, ask yourself this question, under what circumstances do I need to be happy? Answer that question, and you will have found what is truly your God. Habakkuk describes a situation where everything around him is failing. He describes a situation... Where, where, where death, he sees it every day. And yet Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Tim Keller says, he says, are you inspired by Habakkuk's words? He says, let me answer that, let me answer that simply. No, I'm crushed by it. It's too high, it's too hard to do what Habakkuk here is claiming. But he says, but look to the one to whom Habakkuk points to. I don't know what to do or what to tell you as a 26-year-old man when your child dies. I, I, I don't know what to tell you for those of you who are suffering with things in a way that I will never experience. I don't know what to tell you for those who are in troubling spots. I don't know what to tell you or what great scriptural advice to give you other than the fact that there is one in heaven who knows what you go through. Literally in Hebrews, it says that for we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with us. What that basically means is that Jesus and God knows how, knows how we feel in our heart. I think the hardest thing to do for us as believers is to speak and to use the correct words in order to tell another human being, here's what's going on in my heart. And it says that our high priest knows exactly how we feel in our heart. It's as if walk a mile in someone's shoes. Jesus says, I know how you feel, and I'm there. This is why Habakkuk says, I can rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
Because everything around me is failing. What Habakkuk says is that there's an expiration date for everything that surrounds us. Every one of you in here who is married, there's a day when you will no longer be married. Every one of you who has a kid in here, there's a day one day when they will no longer be here. And Habakkuk gives us a theology that says when everything around you is taken away, there can still be joy even in the midst of when God takes everything away. He says, he's the, he's the God of my salvation, meaning that God has literally saved him. Think about this. Habakkuk has been so scared this entire time for the impending judgment of Babylon, and he says that you are the God of my salvation. I need not to fear the Babylonians because you have saved me. Many of you in here will never see Babylon. I've never heard anybody come up to me and say, brother, pray for me. Babylon's coming to my door. But there is something else coming, and his name is the Lord. And, and the Bible tells us that for every one of us, there comes a time for us to be appointed to die. You will never see Babylon, but each and every one of us are going to stand before a righteous and a holy God, and we're going to stand there in our sins, and it's going to matter who did you put your faith and trust in. It's not going to matter how good you looked. It's not going to matter how good your 401K is. It's not going to matter how great you look today, but it's going to matter who is the God of your salvation. That's what's going to matter on that fateful day, is that did we put our faith and trust in Christ? And Habakkuk says, my salvation is all that I need. He makes me tread on high places. He is my strength. Paul says this, for I know the secret. I know how to abound. I know how to have plenty. I know how to have low. I know the secret of facing plenty and to be in want. And he says that I can do all things through him in Christ. What Habakkuk basically points to in this last chapter is the fact that there is a redeemer coming in the New Testament. There is one who is going to accomplish the greatest thing that any of us could ever need. It's our salvation. And now we no longer need to fear the judgment because for those of us who call ourselves believers, our judgment has already been met in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you're an unbeliever here today, I wonder, can you say this while everything around you is failing? Where do you go to when things are being ripped away? How do you continue to be sustained when the throes of life, it says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It says that for the believer that we have many trials and tribulations. And what Habakkuk has resorted to is that though I be hungry, though the land be stripped from me, though everything is gone, I have strength. He's the joy of my salvation. This is as much for you as it is for me as we cry out before the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord daily, as we remember the work of the Lord, and as we go to him when we are weak. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you have given us a prophet, God, who is raw and who is real. You have given us, God, a, a prophet who is not ashamed to say where he's coming from. I, I thank you, God, for the way that you sustain your people, not only through their prayers, but through their faith and as they remember you, God, and as you are their strength. I thank you, Lord, for this book. I thank you for your people, and I pray, God, that for those who need to be reminded, God, of your goodness, I pray that you would do that. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.